Thank you. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may remove your masks if you feel comfortable. It's good to see you. Oh, every week there's new people that I haven't seen in forever. New guests, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are currently studying together the book of the letter of 2 Corinthians. You know, everyone on YouTube always says this looks like a prison. So it's like I'm like writing from like prison, like Paul, you know. We got to put something back here, maybe. But we're in a gym. All right, 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, please go ahead and go there. Uh, here's what I want to do. Last week, I, I started sharing uh, with you an overview of what's going on in our context, and then we read the passage. I'm going to do that again, because I think it'll be helpful as we read it, just to kind of know what's going on. This letter is actually one of Paul's most personal letters uh, written to a church. So let me give you a little bit of uh, what's going on here. The theme uh, is we're still talking about God's heart for reconciliation. We're still talking about like, um, what does it look like to be in relationships within a church? And so if last week we looked at when Christians misunderstand Christians, today the theme uh, is all about a, the lack of forgiveness in a congregation, the lack of forgiveness. Uh, more specifically, how should a church, so this is us, you know, how should the shore, any church, all churches, how should we restore a now uh, penitent man or woman after having to exercise the good grace of church discipline? Okay, so let me set this up. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember Paul uh, had to make an unexpected trip to Corinth. What happened was is he wrote his first letter because he heard from Timothy what was going on in Corinth. He doesn't get good news that anything's changed, so he comes back and he has to confront them on a lot of messy issues like, like sin patterns that were in their lives, unholy practices, tons of licentiousness. And so uh, in our passage, what you'll see is it seems that within that visit, or shortly thereafter, there was someone who really opposed Paul or had done something that brought uh, a church-wide hurt. So this is a church-wide hurt. There's spiritual suffering. Now commentators, they go, is this the guy that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5 who is, you know, um, being intimate with his mother-in-law, or is this, you know, a, some others say this is a sharp, criticizing, accusing person who's just trying to belittle Paul? We don't know. But is, as we read this passage, you'll see it does appear that this church, or at least you know, an obedient majority, they actually confronted this person. So they call him out. They go, hey man, corporately we're saying to you what you're doing is not okay. And, and we love you and we, you know, more people have come to you and called you on this stuff. And so we have to withdraw you from, from you know, our communion dinners together, church. You can't take communion, but we love you. We just... You can't be a part of us. And so corporately, they engage. Now that's healthy church discipline. We'll talk about it in the sermon. But what's happening in this passage, as you'll see, is Paul's making sure as they're seeing this person turn, as they're seeing this person transform, really wanting to come back, that they do so. He's making sure that, that they forgive him, that he forgives him, and that they are to reaffirm their love for him. So they're not outwitted, he'll say, by a common design of the enemy, which is to produce in the church bitterness and unforgiveness, which creates a whole other kind of dissension. 
So it's one of the most, you'll read this, but it's one of the most gracious and loving postures towards one another. So I, I hope that helps. Now as we read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, it's right there. Thank you, pastor. So uh, you guys ready? Good. It'll be on the screen if you're like, I don't want to go to my phone. You don't have to. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. It's like church-wide pain. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. All right, let me pray. Ah, Father, I just, I'm excited. I just really love being here with my church. I just thank you for them. And Lord, we love your word. We really, really want to hear from you. We, we didn't just come to uh, see one another and, and, and do this because, you know, this is what Christians do. We really want to come because we want to meet with a person. We want to meet with you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray that somehow I would just get out of the way and what we would hear would be you and Holy Spirit I just I confess on topics like this I oftentimes hear what I want to hear and I justify my feelings towards others when maybe that's not how you want me to feel and so father I just ask that as this sermon is taught that you would with your love and your rest would you expose in a way that we can feel your love, if there's any unforgiveness, would you expose in Jesus' name even even a desire to humiliate or get even or not forgive someone who's with your grace repenting? Would you show us if there's someone we've cut out of our lives and it's something that you want us to go and reconcile? And I ask Holy Spirit that you would be really, really specific. And so, Father, I pray now that you would fill us as we listen with the kindness of Jesus. Would you make us tender-hearted, as Paul says, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for your protection. I ask that you would use this passage, but I just, I pray you'd use my spiritual gifts, that there would be, if any power would just be the gifts of the Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, if there's a gift that you have for someone else, that you would put it on their heart to give that away as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, okay, so how should a church restore a now penitent, truly changing person 
What's the father showing us about his heart? So here's, a, here's an overview, so if you're taking notes uh, or you like to drift, maybe you, you know, had a rough sleep and you're drifting, the, you at least know where I'm going, okay? So here's where we're going, here's an overview. We're gonna first look at the goodness of church discipline. Now let me say this, um, I'm a pastor, so I'm, the text doesn't explicitly teach on church discipline. It has it there, but what I wanna do is just teach a little bit about church discipline. Um, and so the goodness of church discipline, and then number two, when a person shows a change of heart, we are to restore a person by forgiving, comforting, and reaffirming our love. So that's gonna be the second point. And then third, the design of the demonic realm is to foster unforgiveness and dissension within the church. And the way we oppose the scheme and design of the demonic realm is by doing number two. Does that make sense? So we do number two. So in a shorter way, we'll do this. The goodness of church discipline, three ways to restore a person. Forgive, comfort, and reaffirm our love. By the way, the last two will be the hardest. And number three, don't be outweighed by unforgiveness and division. Okay, that's where we're going because <coughs> that's where our text is going. Cool, cool. Universal symbol, you guys with me? Yes. Good, all right, okay, so the goodness of church discipline. Paul says in our passage this, he says, for such a one, <coughs> excuse me, this punishment, okay, that word means it's a formal act of rebuke. By the majority is enough. So here's the implication. Um, they had set a verdict and they'd asked this person to leave, which meant, which for them was to be this loving and redemptive action. Church discipline is meant to help. Okay, so when discipline, how does it help, James? Good question. When discipline exposes in a person or in us a good, let me be really clear with my words, a good and real guilt, because it's sin, to the place where that person is grieved and saddened over their sin, it will be in that despair over who they are and what they've made of their lives that would bring them, bring us, and here's the goal, here's the goal, to the end of ourselves, and that would cause that person to throw themselves on the mercy of God. They, they would just like throw themselves into the pool of the gospel and go, gee, I need you, Christ. I need the cross. And at that point, they receive forgiveness from the Father, and then they come now to the church to be restored in fellowship. That's the goal, okay, that's the goal. The, the, the pain, church discipline is good because the pain of not participating in the activities of being in the presence of God and using your gifts and receiving from one another love and grace, that's painful. And the reason you're not there is because they have things in their lives, they're all pointing out to you that's going, hey, this is, this is hurting you, this is, you're, you're not becoming who you're made to be. And so the goal of church discipline is not shame, it's, it's renewal. It's repentance, okay? How many of you parents, you know this, right? Your heart, when you see a rebellion in your child and you see this rebellion is pulling into their lives, decay towards God and others, uh, we discipline. Not to, not to humiliate or to bring shame, but because we see who they're becoming isn't, isn't going to get them more of Jesus. It's going to just bring death into the family and into decay. So. This is the heart of discipline. This is the Father's heart. So, so let me show you, Hebrews 12 says, uh, it won't be on the screen, but if you go to Hebrews 12, it says this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's helpful, do not regard lightly. 
the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved by him. Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he really loves. He really loves you and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so how will the father do this? Oftentimes through the church, right? Jesus in Matthew 18, he says this. He says, after you go to the person and they don't listen, he says, then bring, you know, other people, two or more, and if there's still nothing, no repentance, no change, he says this, and this will be on the screen, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, like think about how much grace, how much love, how much care, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So let me say this. Biblically speaking, pastors are to lead the church of Jesus by loving Jesus, by loving the church and teaching the church to love what Jesus loves. That's the, that's the goal of the pastor, to love Jesus, love the church and teach the church what Jesus loves. And when a church does what they did in 2 Corinthians, listen, not just in like believing in church discipline but actually exercising it, it shows that they're obeying Jesus. And done with the Holy Spirit's presence and a humble heart, it will either produce a holier life in a person or a holier church or both, right? So praise God if it's both. So we do church discipline here. It's not easy, but it's, all, but it's often as pure as motive as it we can be done and loved, okay? Now, non-Christians, they just call this intervention. Now, now this has been hailed, by the way, as one of the most significant advances in drug treatment, but they're borrowing it from us. Anyways, okay, Mark Dever, in his book, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which I highly recommend, he describes this. Biblical church discipline is simple obedience to God and a simple confession that we need help. We cannot live the Christian life alone. Our purpose in church discipline Discipline is positive for the individual disciplined, for other Christians as they see the real danger of sin, for the health of the church as a whole, and for the corporate witness of the church to those outside. Most of all, our holiness is to reflect the holiness of God. So church discipline is a, is a good grace. If, if you did like an overview of the Bible, okay, why, when did they do church discipline? How do you know it's church discipline? Oftentimes, church discipline starts with when a person is moving away from the Lord in a long trajectory path, it's usually one-on-one. It's a friend. It's your community group leader. It's, you know, it's your, it's your fan. It's, it starts with one, but then it, when it goes all the way, oftentimes it's, it's heresy, uh, sexual impurity. I'm trying to think of all the Bible examples. Um, division and divisiveness and gossip within the church. So let me say this. Church discipline is a good grace, where our heart is reconciliation. So, my guess now though, if there's any pushback uh, in your soul right now, and you're like, mm, I don't like church discipline. It's, it's not because you don't see it as a good grace, but rather it's because of what this text is warning us of. Namely, we're not perfect at this, and it's possible for discipline to create, and parents, you would know this, it's weird, you can feel it happening a strange power and can be even abusive and, or be abused. 
I know if I sat down with all of you, I bet you somewhere in your lives, some of you have either heard of or have been involved in churches where discipline came with these weird, you know, heresy hunts, oppression, harshness, mean-spiritedness, self-righteousness, legalistic attitudes, and, and, and what you'll hear is you go, well, they handled that bad. They re- those pastors, they handled this bad, and, and, and so this is where Paul right now goes, er, no. He steps in and he says, we're not giving Satan an advantage. Brothers and sisters, we know his schemes. So Paul's saying, I've seen Satan try to harm the church by tempting leaders to use discipline in an unforgiving and an unloving way. He's seen that. And so he can see that in them and he he loves them and and more than likely the Spirit's telling him this stuff as well. So what's Paul's approach? Well, it's number one, it's praise God. Okay, the Father's love worked in your discipline. Like this penitent person is, is, is coming back. And so you gotta quickly forgive. And so he models this. He's like, I forgive him in the sight of Christ, right in the face of Jesus. He's like, make sure you do also. Why? Listen to what he says in verse seven. So he's not hurting unnecessarily. Why? Because it's not from Jesus that he be, this will be on the screen. It's not from Jesus that he would be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, right? Like that's not God's heart. The NIRV says that he won't be sad more than he can stand. Sometimes we need to put ourselves in others' pain, right? It, it doesn't excuse them, but it does help them to see, as, see them as Jesus does. Like, you have to think Jesus really loves this person. He's crucified and he's risen for them. And I know, Paul's thinking, the evil one uses self-hate with shame and self-pity to harm his precious ones, And so he's like, let's not do that. Which takes us into the number two. When a person shows a change of heart, we are to restore a person by forgiving, comforting, and reaffirming our love. So so that's a little bit about church discipline. Look at this now, verse seven, eight, and 10. So he's like, you should rather turn to, to do what? To forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, to reaffirm your love for him. Verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So let me say this, one of the most healing, Christ-exalting, but often demanding ministries we're called into as followers of Jesus is the ministry of forgiveness. Like, Forgiving terrible words, forgiving intentions, attitudes, and behaviors of the very people that we often love and serve. And Paul models this. He's like, the first thing I wanna point out is that I'm doing this for your sake. He's like, if I have forgiven anything, it's been for your sake in the face of Jesus, who's always ready to forgive. Right, there's not a sin that you bring to Jesus where he isn't ready to forgive because of the gospel. So let me ask you this, is this the posture, well I can say, I can put it in our hearts, of the shore, but is, is this the posture of your heart? 
Like may we, how do I say it? Um, to not affirm their forgiveness, leading them to receive it, isn't being obedient to Jesus. So any heart that's like, you know what, let's let him or her feel this a little longer, I think the depression should be good for him or her, is, is clearly, according to our passage, demonic. Like that's not Jesus. No, Jesus, while like holding up his body in excruciating pain, blood pouring out, his skin and muscles flapping in the air from the hooks of the cattle nine tails, looks down at his executioners, mocking him. And do you remember what he says to them? Do you remember what comes out of his mouth? He gets really close to the father and he says, Father, forgive them. This was Jesus over and over again. He taught us, this will be on the screen, that, w- that when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, you know, forgive him. Before you take communion, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. When asked, you guys remember this, when asked like how many times we should forgive and the disciples are like, seven times? Like, yeah, right. He's like, no, 70 times seven. And, and they would have known that's kind of a symbol for perfection and infiniteness. It's you just keep forgiving. They're like, serious? Yes, if, he, if he's like, if someone comes and they sin again, you, you forgive them again? Yes. So our, our one job is to join Jesus in forgiving. So Paul says, don't just forgive. What else does he say? He says, comfort. I think too often as, as believers, it's like, hey, yeah, I forgive you. But, but Jesus says you gotta comfort them. Like, let them hear you're loved. Comforting means giving emotional strength. It's like you're saying, it's done, man, I'm here for you. In verse eight, look what he says in verse eight. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So reaffirming has the idea of like, they're truly receiving forgiveness. They're experiencing communal grace and reconciliation. For, for like, you know, uh, reaffirming your love is like, I really miss you. I, I, you don't have to be good enough to merit acceptance with Jesus and us. Just say these things. T- tell the person, hey, we're not looking over your shoulder and neither is Jesus to be perfect. As you've confessed your sin, we proclaim over you in Jesus' name, the full blood of Jesus cleanses you. We as a church, as a community group, as your friend, we see you in white. You don't, you don't need to fear anymore always trying to earn God's love. You don't have to earn our love. It's been kept by Jesus, he's in you. And we love you with his love, right? You are the Lord's, okay? Any false guilt, now I ask in Jesus' name to be washed away. Imagine if you're hearing that and then, and then you're like, mm-mm. Let me, let me encourage you, sure, memorize a lot of scripture, okay? Because when you're reaffirming love, the Holy Spirit will just start pouring scripture out. You, you can say over this person, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You can tell this person that the Father is now ready to radiate through you and in your inner being. Because Jesus really rose and he's rising, he put to death sin's power over you. Look at what he did. 
May you, along with all of us, Ephesians 3.18 says, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you like to now thank Jesus with me for his full forgiveness because you are fully released from it? Like ask that person, would you like to now thank Jesus? with me. Sure. Okay, you go. Imagine the words that will come out of that person. Jesus, I thank you for the full, like, like, reaffirm your love. I think, just so you know, I think the words I love you should come out of our mouths a lot more. We should just say, I love you. Joel, I love you. Joel, I love you guys. Love you. Calvin, I love you, man. We should just stare at people and tell them that. (laughs) You know, not in a weird way, but so here's one suggestion. When you're reaffirming your love, uh, do it with Jesus. Oftentimes I think what we do is we do a lot of stuff in the flesh and we don't do it with Jesus. And so here's an example. What I would do is I, I would pray with Jesus. I would say this, Jesus, Your cross is very real. What happened there really took place. Would you now, as I affirm my love for blank, would you now come and affirm yours to them too? Jesus, would you now fill all those spaces where pain or that sin and unforgiveness has been? And would you now come with your healing love and light right now? And just wait and let Jesus do it. Like, like, may we be a church that really sets our hearts to be like this, like Paul. Like he's just ready to forgive. He's ready to receive forgiveness. Um, you know, I, this is a weird thing for me to say, but I'll try my best. Uh, so like, I remember there was a season in my life where um, I only wanted to listen to sermons that were like the preacher yelled at me. I wanted to hear sermons and I would go and listen to specific sermons because I wanted to be yelled at and I wanted to be like convicted and I wanted to feel guilty. And I realized one of the reasons I wanted a sermon to like just beat me up wasn't because, um, you know, I just, I felt more manly when I got convicted. It was because in my own life, my walk was stuck and it was really stale. And the only way I'd feel alive to God is if I felt like crap. And what hit me in that season of life was that guilt at least felt like something. And I didn't realize how much unforgiveness I had in my soul. I didn't realize how much pain I hadn't allowed the Lord to touch and grieve. So I just wanted to feel bad so that I could feel good about being a man. But being a man begins when you let God come in and let you grieve. And I think what Paul was good at was he was good at making sure there was nothing there for the design of the demonic to come in with bitterness or hurt. I think he spent a lot of time grieving. In fact, if you read some of his letters later on in his most maturity, he's the one who's saying, I'm the worst of all.
Which takes us to our third point, okay? So we've seen the goodness of church discipline. Three ways to restore a person. Forgive. I'm not gonna choose to hold this against you. Jesus died for me. How could I even not forgive you of all that he's forgiven me? And I'm now gonna comfort and reaffirm my love for you. And then number three, don't be outwitted with unforgiveness and division. Um, Paul says do all that loving and all that forgiving and all that comforting, why? So that, you can see this in your text, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his design. So from, if you remember from a few weeks ago in our Victorious God sermon series, we don't wrestle in the church merely on a human level, right? That was a very big emphasis. We, we don't just have a human emotional stuff. Some of the self-righteousness or self-pity uh, or the wounds that push and produce deep bitterness into our hearts and into our minds comes from highly organized persons without bodies, right? Demonic spirits, evil unseen realm. And what they're doing is they're looking to disrupt and destroy and dismantle Jesus's kids, the bride. Their design is to make you feel good about your stance against sin, so much so that you grow this pride and self-righteousness that you're not like that sinner. Remember when the Pharisee goes up the mountain and so does the sinner? What does the Pharisee say? Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. And that's what the demonic realm will do. They will turn your motives into a subtle power and what they'll do is they'll try to destroy the balance and the perspective of your heart rather than giving you a heart to humbly hear. And the context is clear here that Paul says we're aware, namely their goal, as, as Satan is called the father of lies, is to lie, is to pit them against one another, belittle the glory of the forgiveness that comes from the cross in which they stand, the very place our Jesus won and defeated, hold back grace, get them not to forgive, get them not to access the gospel, push in the wound, remind them of the hurt. And, and, and don't let them see self-hate is a sin to renounce and repent of. Because if you're the person who's done the act, there's two schemes here. One scheme is make the person feel really proudful don't forgive. The other scheme is make the person who sinned and is truly repentant hate themselves. And so if you experience, let me say this, if you experience in your own life um, what I would call a strange level of low-level guilt, like you always feel guilty, you, but, but you have no specific sin. You're just always like, I am not okay with God. That's not from God. And if that's not specific, you probably got some designy schemes of unforgiveness in your heart that you just gotta go to the Father and ask where is this coming from because Paul says we're not gonna let them take any corner of the map of the church. How, how, how do we oppose the demonic scheme in this text? We actually act by faith and do what he tells us to do. We forgive and we comfort and reaffirm love. And so that's how you oppose them. You get in, you forgive, you comfort, and, you, and that breaks off the scheme. Because perfect love casts out fear, the cross comes in and dispels the darkness, 
Jesus wins. Okay, to quote again from Hebrews in the context of discipline, listen to what the writer says, and this will be on the screen. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, what's the word? Oh, where is it? Um, Is this the wrong text? It is. It's okay, it's not your fault. I sent you the wrong text. You guys just read, you hear what I'm gonna read, okay? Um, for, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen to this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Do you hear what he says? See to it that no one obtains the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up. Okay, I don't know what you're going through. Like this is such a, you know, when you're, when you're preaching books of the Bible, one of the greatest things is you just, you get to be faithful to the word of God and, and teach on every theme. Um, and so I don't know who comes to mind for you. I don't know what resonates with you or what's speaking to you, but I felt like I wanted to give us an opportunity to not just hear what the Spirit's saying, but to be in communion with God. So. I've asked Jill to come up, and what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna, uh, you can come up now, we're gonna sing our first response song, and then we'll go into a time of communion which Sean will lead us in. Um, But I wanted to give you just some time with Jesus, okay? Like I just wanted to give you some time to tell him, I think this is what you said to me in this sermon, and then I want you to thank him for that. Because that's, that's pretty crazy that the God of the universe is speaking to you. So just thank him. If something came in there, just thank him for it. And then pray and just, just, just talk to him. Because here's the thing, you know, like the seed can be sown and, and the enemy can come and just grab that seed and that can just be like sheer forgetfulness but I want you to bring that to him. I want you to get direction from Jesus. Um, And I sensed as a way to start, I wanted to pray for you. Uh, Specifically, I think that there are some here who have been forgiven, but you you still feel like you're under this current of guilt. That your normal, like I said, seems to be this low level sense of guilt. And I believe that the Spirit wants you to receive in Jesus forgiveness. And I believe that the Father wants to bless you by reaffirming his love for you. And so if if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to put out your hands like this as I pray. And I'm gonna ask God to reaffirm that you are forgiven and you're you're deeply, truly free from all guilt, okay? So if, if any of that resonates with you, just you can put out your hands. And so Father, I pray that those whose hands are out now, I ask that 
with the presence of Jesus that's really within them. Like your word says that we are hidden in Christ, that you are in us, that we are found in him, that we've been crucified, that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So that's a, so Christ, you who is now within us, I pray that we would now, as we imagine you on the cross, would we now sing you on the cross for us? Would we receive your forgiveness already purchased by your son's death? So Jesus, we thank you that in your dying, you took into yourself our sin and our darkness, our diseased feelings about you and others and ourselves. I thank you that you've done this you bore our pain you bore God's full wrath so we now in Jesus name receive your forgiveness and love and I ask that now your grace would flow into the very depths of our being would you comfort and reaffirm your love